to the Mark Aram Show on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. But I've got some shocking news for you. Mark Aram is on vacation. I'm filling in, and I'm your senator, John Ossoff. This is my first time hosting live radio, y'all, so we're sitting in the studio here. I feel well taken care of by the WSB team, and we've got an exciting show ahead of us, opportunity to speak with some amazing Georgians. We're going to be hearing from John Isaacson, son of the late and beloved U.S. Senator Johnny Isaacson, to talk about bipartisanship, his father's legacy, his family, his views on our nation's future. We're going to hear from Marianne Brown, a pecan farmer from South Georgia, whom I've gotten to know well the last few years, as well as an investigative reporter from the Augusta area, Meredith Anderson, to talk about what's going on with military families and military housing, something, as you all know, I've been focused on. But first, of course, addressing the news of the day, uh, we don't know more than what is in the press. I have not seen any charging documents or indictments from the Department of Justice, and I'm uh, not coming on the air today to politicize the matter or to be a pundit. I'll just say this. As a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, protecting classified information matters. It matters to our national security. Uh, and uh, we are a nation of laws in which no one is above the law. This uh, process will play out in federal court. Uh, it's not for me to play pundit. Uh, and sit on the sidelines and speculate. I know many of you are paying close attention, and you can, of course, stay tuned in all day on 95.5 WSB for breaking news uh, as the public learns more uh, about uh, what we understand to be an indictment in South Florida. So we are going to start today speaking with John Isaacson, and we're going to bring John on now. John uh, is a friend of mine. I've gotten to know you, John, uh, over the last few years since I took office. And something I've uh, often said is that in many ways I've modeled my approach uh, to the Senate office on the example of John's father, U.S. Senator Johnny Isaacson. Uh, and Senator Isaacson, a beloved figure in Georgia, we all mourned his recent passing, known as someone committed to bipartisanship, to finding common ground, to the center of American politics, and to Georgia. John, thank you so much for joining us. Senator, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you today. So uh, first question I have for you, John, is something I'm sure a lot of folks are, are thinking about. And I've got an 18-month-old baby daughter at home, and I'm serving as a U.S. senator. What was it like growing up as the son of a U.S. senator? Well, Senator, I'm, uh, I'm a bit older than your 18-month-old. I'm, I'm 52, almost 53. And I think when I was growing up, dad's role was very different. He first got elected in 1976 after losing a county commission election in 74. And, you know, I remember walking downstairs and, you know, asking uh, mom if we had won. Um, and that was, uh, that was about all I knew. And that was about all I understood. And obviously dad rose up through the ranks in state politics and eventually ran and lost for governor, but in 1990, I was in college. And so, you know, most of dad's federal career, uh, I had been sort of out of the out of the house and out of the nest, um, which in some ways I think made it much easier. But, uh, you know, dad, dad cast a long shadow. And uh, I was I was always aware that uh, uh, his he was watching, and uh, others around him were watching. So it, mm -hmm. uh, it does make you think twice about what you do and what you say. Something you and I have talked about a lot is how nasty and divisive and even hateful politics has become. 
when that's not where most people are. Most folks aren't eating, breathing, living, sleeping partisan politics. Most folks aren't uh, judging or despising their neighbors based on their political beliefs. Most folks just want government to work well and for politicians, instead of being uh, dramatic and attention-seeking to get the job done, I think that those are the values your father embodied. Where did that come from in his spirit, in his soul? You know, that's a that's a great question. And something I've told people, you know, throughout my life is, you know, dad was no different at home than he was on the radio or on TV or in the Senate chamber or the House chamber or the state capitol. He just always was who he was. And that was a really thoughtful, intelligent, uh, kind guy who just wanted to get stuff done um, for his constituency. And whether that was serving as state legislator or in the House of Representatives of the United States Senate. He just wanted to get things done. And it's hard to get things done when you start, you know, demonizing people. And that always felt like uh, the best way to come to a deal was you start with what you do agree on, and then you kind of work your way through what you don't agree on. Um, but if all you do is focus on what you don't agree on, it's going to be really hard mm-hmm. to get things done. Well, the, the approach I've taken, as you know, has been to try to bring folks together, to bring Republicans and Democrats together, to remind some of my colleagues in Congress who are focused on the Daily Show, who are focused on courting controversy on cable news or posting on Twitter that our constituents expect us to get things done and to find common ground and to disagree in a civil way when we disagree. You are uh, deeply involved in establishing this new institute at UGA in your father's honor. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure, and thanks for asking. I think, um, you know, one of Dad's greatest political legacies was his ability to get things done. And even though he was a a principled conservative and and proud of his Republican roots, he he always wanted to do exactly what you said, which was, you know, make a deal, find common ground, get things done for the people of Georgia and for the people of this country. So what we're doing is we're starting a new symposium at the University of Georgia um, in the School of Public Policy, and we're going to call it the Isaacson Symposium on Political Civility. And it's going to focus on exactly that. Um, as you said, we don't always dis- we don't always agree, and when we do disagree, we should talk about it. But we should talk about it in a productive manner um, that moves the issues forward and puts people in a better position once we've found a solution. So we've got uh, a great lineup coming up. We're going to have an event in the fall. It's going to be the inaugural symposium here in November, um, and we're going to be announcing the uh, – the guest list and the speakers here in the in the next few weeks, and I'm just really excited about it. There's been a lot of enthusiasm um, from both yourself and and some of a lot of Dad's old colleagues, um, as well as some of the corporate community and and some of the individuals that I've spoken to recently who are old friends of Dad's, who felt like this was a great way to honor his legacy, especially his political one. Well, looking forward to coming and speaking with those students, and you know I think folks recognize that in public life. Some folks are trying to be part of a show, and some folks are trying to get things done. And when you see folks taking a scorched earth, slash and burn approach, they're performing, not trying to get results. Uh, And what folks need is results, not performance. That's what Senator Johnny Isaacson was all about, and you're carrying on his legacy. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, John. Senator, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. All right, we'll be right back.
This is your Senator John Ossoff filling in on the Mark Aram Show here on 95.5 WSB Atlanta's News and Talk. Such a pleasure to be in the studio this morning speaking with amazing Georgians. Obviously, a lot of big news today. Just across the table from me, you'll be hearing from him later, is Greg Bluestein, the Atlanta General Constitution. He will give you all of the commentary you need on the news out of South Florida. As I mentioned, beyond the fact that I've seen what's in the news, I haven't seen any DOJ documents, uh, and the process will play out. I'm not going to be a pundit or speculate much about what's happening with the former president, but stay tuned all day for breaking news here on WSB. We are going to be hearing in just a moment from someone who's become a friend of mine over the last few years. Her name is Marianne Brown. She is a pecan grower in South Georgia and an executive board member of the National Pecan Federation. I first met Marianne sitting around a table in Tifton talking about what pecan growers in Georgia need. And one of the things they mentioned to me was that the Indian government had imposed a 100% tariff on pecans from the United States. So what that means, as you all know, is that the Indian government was charging a 100% import tax for pecan exports from the U.S. Now, bear in mind, there are more than 1 billion people in India. This is a huge market. So if American farmers, if Georgia farmers can't sell their products to India, that's a big loss of opportunity. So Marianne and I worked together. Uh, I met seven times with India's ambassador to the U.S., led a trade delegation to India, India has lowered that tariff by 70%, opening this market of more than a billion consumers to Georgia-grown pecans. Joining me now, Marianne Brown, pecan grower in South Georgia. Marianne, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about international trade and Georgia agriculture. Georgia farmers are feeding our state and our country, but also the world. Describe to the audience tuned in, what does it mean when you do or don't have access to a big market overseas? Well, we have a specialty crop. So um, a large portion of the world and even the U.S. Um, don't even know what pecans are. Um, with a larger pool of people to sell to, we're able to um, educate the consumers and also um, have more export money um, into the U.S. And I think um, ultimately pecans just can't be grown everywhere in the world. Um, they're healthy, um, very healthy for your heart. They have lots of nutrients in them. Um, and it's a, it's a good thing that the U.S. has so many areas that we can't grow it. And they're delicious. And we're going to keep working to sell delicious. more Georgia pecans all over the world. So you grow pecans, Marianne, and you scout pecans. Why don't yeah. you explain to folks what scouting pecans is? <laughs> well, um, we go through the trees during the growing season, which is right now. So we start in the beginning of May, and we go to the end of September, and we look at every orchard every week, and we look for any disease pressure, pest pressure, um, nutrient deficiencies, and ultimately that just helps the grower um, make a more informed decision on what they're spraying and if they're spraying something that's not working, different rates, and um, we're able to communicate that to other growers as well if something's not working like it should or something's working better. Um, so it makes you more efficient. A very important part of the process, and if you're just joining us, this is Senator John Ossoff filling in for Mark Aram on the Mark Aram Show. My guest, Marianne Brown, a pecan grower from South Georgia. Marianne, you and I have gotten to know each other a bit as we've worked together, and I love your family's story. You're grandfather who grew up 
on a dairy in Wisconsin, fought in the Korean War, found his way to Albany, Georgia. Tell me about his story. Yes, so you've, you've covered um, a good bit of it, but um, he grew up on the dairy farm, went to the Korean War, um, came back to the dairy farm for about two years before moving his family uh, to Albany, Georgia, where he returned to active duty service with the U.S. Air Force. Um, but even though he left the commercial ag side in Wisconsin, he always had a huge passion um, for agriculture and had a large garden of fruits and vegetables, honeybees, muscadine grapes that he made wine out of, um, and he raised sheep, rabbits, turkeys. Um, he kept the family involved in 4-H and Boy Scouts and sports, and he instilled that passion in his children, one of them being my dad. Um, so his three sons ended up in commercial agriculture, and my dad um, is the only one that ended up in the pecan industry, but he started farming and scouting pecans in the late 70s, and he's just been doing it ever since. And you're carrying on the family legacy, but I love that story. Comes back from Korea, resettles in Albany, growing muscadine grapes and raising honeybees, and here you are now a leading pecan grower and a voice for your industry, and it's been such a pleasure working with you over the last couple of years, and something I think you've expressed to me and I hear all the time from farmers in Georgia is that they don't need hateful, partisan, bitter politics. They need solutions. Why do you think, from your perspective as a farmer, politics has gotten so nasty, and do you agree with me that most folks are really more kind of in the middle and want us to fight less and get things done more? I don't know the reason, um, but I will say that I do think most people are in the middle and um, not far one way or the other, and um, solutions are ultimately what us as Americans need, um, not the fighting. Well, we uh, we both have pretty young kids. I'm hoping that I can get uh, my 18-month-old daughter, Eva, uh, down to your neck of the woods soon. Maybe we can get the kids together. That would be wonderful. Mine would, uh, mine, my children love babies, and uh, they'd love another little girl around. And I think you're a, a pretty serious dog owner as well. Tell us about that. <laughs> uh, well, I always grew up with animals, horses, dogs. Um, when I was in college, I wanted one like my senior year of high school, and they were like, no, you're going to college. And then I, I was living in the dorm, so I couldn't have one, and then the sorority house, and I couldn't have one. So my junior year of college, I was like, I'm getting a dog. Um, and so I still have him, actually. He's 14. And uh, I know that you and I have talked a few times about you getting a dog. Yeah, we're looking family. at it. We're looking at it for Eva. We think maybe around the second birthday. I'm just so appreciative of all you do for Georgia agriculture. It's been a pleasure working with you to expand access to markets around the world for Georgia farmers. Agriculture is Georgia's biggest industry. It is so important to all of us. And I think sometimes folks who aren't close to the ag community take it for granted that we're going to have a steady and secure food supply. Food security is a national security issue. And farmers and ranchers in Georgia and across the country are working so hard every single day to provide the nation with food. What's one thing you'd like folks to think about next time they're at the grocery store? Maybe they're not thinking about how much work went in to raising and producing those products. Um, I think just 
with pecans in general, um, think beyond the pie. Pecans are a great snack source. Um, the whole nut industry, I think, has done a really good job of expanding the snacking of, of nuts and how healthy they are. And um, anything from the U.S., you're helping um, the farmers, and the farmers are huge. They have a huge impact on the economy in general. And so, um, locally sourced food, U.S. sourced food, um, yep. healthy snacks. All, bit, all important. So with about 30 seconds left, can you in closing resolve the great pecan-pecan controversy? <laughs> well, people um, always ask, is it pecan or pecan? Um, I catch myself mixing the two and saying pecan um, the most, but even you have seen me interchange the pronunciation. So I say it doesn't matter how you say it as long as you eat more pecan. There's your answer, folks. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, this is Lewis Gossett Jr. This is the Mark Aram Show. If you have any common sense, you should listen to the Mark Aram Show. Good morning again, everyone. This is your Senator John Ossoff filling in for Mark Aram on the Mark Aram Show here on 95.5 WSB Atlanta's News and Talk. I'm having a blast. First time hosting talk radio. We've had some great conversations. Just to remind you again, please remember that I work for you, that my team and I are standing by to help you with anything you need. You can always reach us at ossoff.senate.gov. You heard from Marianne Brown recently, the pecan farmer in South Georgia. We're going to hear now from Meredith Anderson, my friend and investigative reporter. She leads the I-Team at WRDW in the Augusta area, helping to produce hard-hitting investigations of information the public needs to know. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. It's it's interesting being on the other side of the mic here. I'm I'm usually the one who interviews you. <laughs> Meredith, the tables are turned. <laughs> they the are. The tables are turned. So you and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years. Uh, I led an eight-month bipartisan investigation of the mistreatment of military families in privatized housing at Fort Gordon and looking at military housing issues across the country. You have been digging into this story for about a decade. How did this first get onto your radar? It started with a little girl named Evelyn Shelton who stopped breathing in her Fort Gordon home. Her parents got in touch with us, and they claimed to have mold in their home. And, and that's kind of how it all started. That was the first time it came on our radar. And, uh, gosh, it was 12 years ago or so. And from there, we started looking into Balfour Beatty, and that's kind of – how we looked at how the Army got out of being a landlord, so to speak, for lack of a better word, and, and the privatized housing issue kind of came to be. And from there, uh, we kept hearing the same story over and over again. And for a decade or more, I feel like I've kind of been jumping up and down <laughs> trying to get anyone's attention who will listen um, about what's been going on. And, and, you know, we've uncovered problems of mold again and again and again. And it, it started out in the older homes and the, the homes, as, as you know, they call them legacy homes. And those are just, it's just a really nice way of calling them old. And a lot of them are, you know, grandfathered in with some old codes and, and housing codes when they were built back in the seventies and, 
in the 80s and, and some even in the 60s. And, you know, over time, they haven't maintained well, and there's just been problem after problem after problem. But what we've seen in the last couple of years, and this is, is what you uncovered, too, when you were doing your investigation, is that some of the newer homes are, are having problems. And this was something that broke my heart into a thousand pieces. Um, Captain Cho specifically, he his daughter kind of became the poster child for bad military housing, his little girl. We saw those pictures, and, and gosh, she just had a skin reaction, a potentially fatal one to the mold in their home. And Captain Cho, and of course, he, testified at the hearing that I held in the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Yeah. That was a bipartisan investigation. Just to bring everyone up to speed, in the 1990s, the Department of Defense decided it would get out of the housing business, so to speak, and turn this over to private companies. And uh, what my investigation found at Fort Gordon and what your investigations as a journalist have found is significant mistreatment of military families. We're talking about sewage coming through the ceilings, serious mold infestations impacting uh, the health of families. And these are military families who are already yeah. making tremendous sacrifices in defense of our country, facing mistreatment in their homes. It's it's immoral, it's unjust, but it also impacts military readiness. It impacts yeah, our ability to retain talent in the armed forces. Stress. I mean, think about the ability for some of these soldiers to focus on the mission if they're worried about, is, you know, my family safe back at home? It's it's such a such an issue. And, and you know, it, it, it was an issue for a while that you know, you should care about even if you don't have a family member in the military because this affects our, our national security. Fort Gordon, for people who are listening who don't know, I mean, that's where the NSA is located. That's where the Cyber Center of Excellence is now. Uh, they closed it down in Maryland and moved to Fort Gordon. So Fort Gordon in Georgia isn't just important to the state. It's important to our entire country. It's, it's, a, it's, a, very, it's, a, it's a very important place. So all of this is, is, is just unbelievable to me, Senator, that we are still talking about this. I, when, when this was first uncovered, it's one of those things where you think that, you know, people will do the right thing and this will be fixed. But here we are more than a decade later still, still talking about this. But what, what has made me the most worried about it is that, you know, we keep uncovering the same problems. But when Captain Cho went to move in, to Fort Gordon, he actually took my stories from you know the last decade of my stories and, and said this to the Balfour Beatty leadership and said, "Hey, I'm worried about moving on post. Look at what you know has been uncovered here. I'm scared about this." And he told me that the leadership told him, "Don't worry about that. That's just in the older homes. We've had some trouble in the older homes. You're moving into officer housing, the yeah. nice newer housing where the those problems do not exist. So he trusted them and their word, and he moved in. And then his daughter potentially has almost one of the worst problems that we've seen, a potentially fatal skin problem. Well, you know, Meredith, I saw, I saw Captain Cho at yeah. Camp Humphreys in, uh, in South Korea a couple months uh, leading a, a trade mission over there and sat down with um, the military service members from Georgia at Camp Humphreys. And uh, he, he's doing well uh, with his family in South Korea, but your journalism focused on this has been essential to shedding light on it. And, uh, you know, I think we've seen some signs the Army is taking this more seriously. 
since I launched my investigation a couple years ago, but we've got a long way to go. And, and fundamentally, this is about doing right by those who serve. And if you're sure. just joining us, uh, this is Senator John Ossoff on the Mark Aram Show. We've been hearing from Meredith Anderson. Meredith, you got about 30 seconds. What else does the public need to know thinking about the treatment of military families at Fort Gordon? They need to speak up if there is a problem. Speak up. Speak up to you. Speak up to journalists. Speak up to your commander. Speak up to anyone who will listen because that's how light has been shed on this for so long. Military families were silent about it. And and now that light is being shed and, Senator, now that you're involved, more has happened in the last two years than I've seen in the last decade of my reporting. Whistleblowers matter, and I'm here to hear from them. We'll be right back. Good morning again, everyone. This is your Senator John Ossoff, guest hosting this morning on the Mark Aram Show on 95.5 WSB Atlanta's News and Talk. Having the time of my life, Deborah is here in the studio with me, producer for WSB, helping me get through this morning. And uh, what a pleasure to be able to speak with you, my constituents, directly. We've gotten a few questions in. We're going to answer on artificial intelligence, on the needs of teachers in our community. Uh, But before we turn to those, let me just... um, say this. Uh, I want you all to know that it doesn't matter whether you were for me or against me when I was a candidate for office. My obligation is to serve you now. And much of the work of a Senate office is not about whatever you're seeing on cable news that day. It's not about whatever is getting the most retweets on Twitter. It's not about the controversy of the moment. It's about serving constituents, and I've got an amazing team who are serving constituents every day. If you are a veteran and you can't cut through red tape to get your appointment or to get your referral to community care, call me. If you are owed an IRS tax refund and you can't get an answer back from the IRS and your family is facing financial uncertainty, call me. If you want to let me know that you think I've done a bad job or a good job, or you want to bring something to my attention, let let me say I welcome criticism. My job as your senator is to represent you, and I can't do that well unless I hear from you, and that means the good and the bad. I welcome criticism. I welcome honest feedback. I welcome being held to account. That is my obligation as a public servant. So you can reach out at any time to me and my team at ossoff.senate.gov. We're here to help you. That's not about politics. That's about my job as your servant. And I think a lot of folks are sick of politics. And I think a lot of folks are sick of partisan politics and my personal theory, uh, and not everybody agrees with me on this, is that more and more people are identifying as politically independent. And that more and more people are rejecting partisan identities. I don't think, as I said at the top of the show, that most people live for politics. I don't think most people hate each other over politics. I think most people want us, the politicians, to talk less and get more done. And that's why you're rarely going to find me popping up on cable news to court controversy or running my mouth on Twitter because my job is to work for you. That means bringing Republicans and Democrats together in the Senate to get the job done. So reach out to me. Let me know what I can do better. Let me know what you need. We got a question on artificial intelligence from Jeff Taves, talking about ChatGPT, Google Bard, generative AI, and what does it mean? What's Congress going to do about it? Uh, I am holding a hearing 
next week as the chair of the Senate's Human Rights Subcommittee on this subject, Jeff. And this is a big deal. This is a potentially revolutionary technology. It has profound implications for our economy, potentially very significant disruptions to the labor market. It has profound implications for our safety because this technology without guardrails in place can pose a risk to personal security, to national security, to health security. This technology has profound implications for our freedom. You hear a lot about generative AI. That's what ChatGPT is. There's also predictive models. Think about what that means from a civil rights and civil liberties standpoint. To what extent should law enforcement and investigators be able to use these tools to make predictive judgments about future conduct. Y'all have seen the movie Minority Report. Well, Congress is going to have to act to protect civil rights and civil liberties as this technology emerges. So next Tuesday, I believe it's 2.30 in the afternoon, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I've been corrected. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, my Republican colleague of Tennessee and I, are going to hold a hearing focused on that hearing from technological experts, hearing from experts in constitutional law. Again, y'all, this is one of those things, it's not a Democrat or a Republican thing, but it's one of the most important policy questions that we face as a country. What are we going to do about this technology, which, by the way, has great potential to do good? Cancer diagnosis, for example, potentially transformed for the better by this technology, but also a lot of risk, a lot of risk. So we're going to be holding that hearing next week. I hope y'all will tune in just as a, a little bit of a, uh, a demonstration to, to publicize that hearing. My team produced a promotional video that is, you'd think it was me, but it's not me. It's a deep fake of my own voice promoting the hearing just to show you uh, the potential of a technology. And please be aware, there are scams happening across the country right now. One of our witnesses on Tuesday will be a mother who got a call. It was her four-year-old daughter telling her that she'd been kidnapped and a ransom needed to be paid. But the thing is, it wasn't her four-year-old daughter. It was a fake audio track produced from audio files scraped off of social media accounts to try to extort this mother into paying that ransom. Be careful. This technology is out there now, and it's potentially dangerous. Tune in on Tuesday to learn more about what we might need to do about it. I got a question here from Maggie Scarborough, who wants to know what more we can do to help teachers here in Georgia and across the country. And uh, Maggie, one thing I want to highlight is some legislation I'm working on with Senator Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, called the Helper Act. And this is a bill that would, modeled after the Veterans Homeownership Program, make a similar program available to first responders, law enforcement, firefighters, EMT, paramedics, and educators to help reduce the burden of first-time home buying. Now, why does this matter? Because if public servants, if police officers, sheriff's deputies, firefighters, EMTs, teachers can't live in the communities they serve, we all suffer. We don't want teachers to have to live 90 minutes from the school where they teach. We don't want firefighters to have to live an hour and a half in gridlock from the firehouse. But the affordable housing crisis means that increasingly they're having to do that. And so this is a bipartisan bill. It's called the Helper Act. You can look it up. You can call your other members of Congress and encourage them to co-sponsor it. 
in order to uh, offer for first responders and teachers the same kind of first-time home buying support that veterans get because teachers, police officers, deputies, firefighters, EMTs, they serve us all. We rely upon these heroes, and they're having a tough time right now. They don't make a lot of money. They're having a tough time affording those homes. So, y'all, you are about to be joined by Greg Bluestein of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's going to talk about the indictment. I covered it at the top, and I'll just say again here at the bottom, I don't know more than what's in the press. It's not my job to be a pundit or to speculate or politicize this. It's a serious issue. It's going to play out in court. But you're going to have Greg Bluestein coming on in just a moment to talk about the politics, to talk about the implications. It's been such an honor to be with you today. Again, this is your Senator John Ossoff filling in for Mark Aram on WSB 95.5 Atlanta News and Talk. Thank you for the privilege of serving you. Talk to you soon.